Well, hey, everybody. Uh, as we wrap up this section of this letter uh, written by the Apostle Paul to this church in a place called Galatia, uh, we're going to kind of do things in a bit of an unconventional way because, interestingly enough, this section of text is written uh, kind of unconventionally. And so we're going to try to mimic that or, or mirror that in the way that we actually uh, facilitate this conversation today. So uh, Mike and I are here together. And uh, Mike, why don't you just uh, kind of dive in and give us a bit of a snapshot of what this text kind of says and does. And if you're following along uh, in your Bible or if you've got a Bible app, you can turn to Galatians chapter 4 and we're starting in verse 8. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. The, the, the unique thing about the text and the reason why Jeff and I had talked about doing this in a little bit of a different format was that by the time you get to Galatians chapter 4 verse 8 and, and it goes down to 4 verse 20 is the section that we're thinking about or reflecting on today. Um, you've moved past all the arguments that Paul has been making that we've looked at over the last five Sundays. Paul's been, you know, pounding away, trying to make a point to the Galatian churches. But by the time you get down to verse eight, he kind of moves out of that mode and he does something completely different. And he absolutely just appeals at the most raw and emotional, personal level to the Galatians, essentially begging them to, to listen to what it is that he's been saying. And he, he comes at them. We won't put the text on the screen or, or even dig into it. There's not that much to dig into really. Um, but he makes two basic appeals to them. The first appeal that he makes is a very practical one. If you think back, if you were here last week, he says to the Galatians, look, you, you just got yourself out from under this lifestyle of religious slavery in your pagan, your Gentile pagan lifestyle, where your whole life was tirelessly working um, at worship and then endlessly worrying about whether you had done enough or whether you'd done it well enough to appease the gods so that your life will go the way you want it to. And you just lived under the heaviness of this enslavement to religion. And then God sent Jesus and God sent the spirit and God set you free from this slavery to religious performance. And now for some inexplicable reason, you want to sign up to live under the Jewish religious law and just plug yourself back in under the enslavement of religious performance. And Paul's like, I, I don't understand how having just been set free from that, you want to turn around and become super religious again. And then he makes this second appeal that's less practical and it's more personal. And he reminds them of when he first showed up in the southern part of Turkey, the region of southern Turkey, where they are in Galatia. And he says, I showed up because I was sick. And the, it seems that Paul had an issue with his eyes. There was maybe an infection or some, something that you could obviously see when you were looking at him, that he was not well and it had to do with his eyes. And he said to the Galatians, he says to them in the letter, he says, remember how much you cared for me when I showed up? He said, I was disgusting and you should have wanted to have nothing to do with me. But he said, you welcomed me and you received me. You cared for me like I was an angel. You cared for me like I was Jesus himself. And he says, I remember in those days, you, you, you almost would have torn your own eyes out to give them to me. That's how heartbroken you were over how sick I was. And, and, it, and it's his way of saying, remember how much we loved each other. Remember how connected we were. Remember how, how we were giving and receiving with each other. And he says, and now I don't get it. All of a sudden, I'm the enemy for telling you the truth about Jesus, that you don't need to do all this religious performance. How, 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 have we, how did we go from that 
to now suddenly I'm the bad guy for trying to just invite you into the freedom of a life of faith. And then he says, contrast the people who are telling you that you need to get circumcised and get all religious, whatever. They don't care about you. They don't care about you. They, the, all they want are trophies on the shelf. They just want converts. They want to prove that they're right and I'm wrong. And it's almost like you read it and there's this, there's this super emotional sense to it. Like somebody talking to their ex who's, who's still in love with their ex, who's now getting into a, a, an abusive relationship and, and just your, Paul's heart is breaking and, and it's this heartbroken plea saying, um, how could we have gone from what we had and how good it was to this? Now you're choosing this. What, what, what is happening? Please don't do this. Yeah, and the interesting part about this passage is, you know, for, for many of these texts that we, we unpack and teach, they're kind of fact-focused, right? Oh, they're, absolutely. They're, they're, they're focused on content and truths from God's word. Very rarely do you actually tap into the reality that leaders, and, and you know, in this case, the, the author of, of this letter, that leaders have feelings, Right. That leaders feel things. <laughs> yeah. I mean, even in our day, I know that it's difficult for kids to really empathize with their parents, yeah. that parents have feelings, or for, you know, players on a sports team or even parents of those kids to kind of empathize or sympathize with the fact that those coaches, they feel things. Yeah. Or that your, uh, your teacher or your prof in, in uh, college or university or even the government like that, they, that these people feel things that yeah. there's there's sort of an inhuman uh, kind of dynamic to leaders that that Paul tries to tap into to say no as a leader in your community I, I feel things yeah. and I want to feel things and uh, and then it's an interesting kind of dynamic the way that he leverages that in this ultimately this family culture that he's seeking to cultivate yeah well and and. Not just that he feels things, which I totally agree, but he just lays on the table that his only motivation is love. Yeah. The only reason I'm saying any of this stuff is because I care about you and I care about your community. And I just want to see you having the deepest experience of a life with Jesus Christ as you could possibly have. It's not like Paul's like, they have an agenda. I don't. Yeah, I in just fact, want- he says that, you know, that, that their heart... Uh, and he comments on, he kind of makes a disclaimer that he'd rather be there in person to talk yeah, about yeah, these yeah. people. Yeah. But he says that, you know, their heart is really to prove their way, to, to kind of yeah. prove their right. He says, my heart is only for you and for your spiritual best. Yeah. I have your best in mind. And, you know, as a parent in this kind of extended spiritual family, I only want your spiritual best. That's yeah. really the root of his of his plea. Even when the conversation gets stiff, right? Yeah, like yeah. this whole passage starts with him saying, you foolish Galatians who bewitched you, like the language is strong, but it's all coming out of a place of heartbreak and love. Yeah. And so, you know, for us this morning, what we wanted to do is to kind of represent that in our own context here as a church family uh, at Southridge with the two of us who've been around uh, kind of doing this for over two decades long, now. Long time. And uh, arguably too long, I know, for many of you. But to, to really kind of come at it from that perspective ourselves. And as, you know, members of kind of the, the parental group around here to kind of share our hearts, I guess, first off, from 
the, the plea of what we would desperately want you to know as a result of this series, and then we'll shift gears and talk a little bit about uh, what we desperately would love for all of us to do. And so uh, I'm going to kind of lead off with the what we desperately hope that you would know, because mm -hmm. for the past uh, five weeks, I've been a participant like you uh, in this series. Uh, Mike, you've carried the ball for most of the weeks, and then Jeff Martin's uh, plugged in for one of them. So uh, I've had over a month off uh, <laughs> of doing this and, and have just been able to kind of absorb the potency of what the, the different moves of this text have actually been. And so... This is a little bit about me reporting back. You can tell me how uh, kind of on I am. And if, if we need any corrective, you'll be sure to provide it. But, you know, the, the section starts off by kind of responding to these Judaizers, these people who are saying, no, you have to uh, follow Jesus and obey these kind of specific Jewish laws. And you've, you've listed uh, kind of the key ones a number of times. And he says, you know, that argument, point number one or week one, that argument is foolish because when you think about how the spirit of God works in your life and all of the spectacular ways that you've seen the spirit of God work, the spirit of God has only worked in response to faith not in response to obeying any specific laws, that the power of God is accessed through faith alone. And, and then he goes on to say that, you know, that this argument that's being made by the Judaizers that you need to observe these Jewish laws in addition to faith so that you can be a true child of Abraham. Well, he says, let's look at Abraham and realize that the founder of the Jewish faith actually ended up being the founder of the Jewish faith by faith alone, not by observing any Jewish laws. In fact, the Jewish law came in, uh, you know, a number of years, if not hundreds of years after uh, Abraham walked the earth. And so the, the way that the family of God works is ultimately a product of faith. And then the, the final kind of case that he makes is that when it comes to the law itself, when it comes to this rule book that these people are saying, you're supposed to kind of align with in order to, to belong, he says, this rule book was only designed to be a guardian. And he says where the law guards life, this was Jeff Martin's morning, it points to Jesus who through faith gives life. And if you kind of take a step back and see the full weight of just those three points, he's saying that the power of God only operates according to faith. The family of God only exists according to faith. And the word of God only proves to drive people to a life of faith. That this has nothing to do with what the Judaizers are trying to kind of draw you into. It's only the product of a life of faith. Absolutely. And then if we think about the, the, the series that we covered in the fall, that's kind of the context to this. Knowing that these, you know, readers or hearers were kind of hearing this in one sitting. You know, remember that he was making the case in a, a series that we called Watering Down Grace, that the message of Jesus itself is quite simply and ultimately exclusively a by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone message, and that anything added to the purity and simplicity of that message is actually watering down or diluting the gospel because that's ultimately what it is. And if, if you take, from my perspective, if you take the context of, you know, that by grace alone message, 
and you add it to the point that Paul's making that says the power of God only accesses through faith. The family of God was founded and is only accessed through faith. And the word of God itself only drives people to faith. It kind of drives us to the, the last two mornings that you've, you've worked us through where Paul's drawn some conclusions to say, therefore, the only way that anyone belongs is through faith. And in faith, we all belong. That no matter what category or no matter what kind of subdivision or even class structure we might be a part of, we actually are one in Christ because of exclusively faith. And then he kind of goes on even further after making that point in week four to give us the reason why that is. And as you talked about being a slave, he contrasts that to what faith does in enabling us to be a child, but not a child the way the Judaism are trying to make you a child through this, you know, kind of ethnic adherence to the Jewish law. He's saying people of faith are only a child through one way, and that is the spiritual process of adoption. Mm -hmm. That God, by his spirit, through our faith, adopts all of us, no matter who we are or what we've done, into this spiritual family so that we can all belong and we can all experience the power of God. We can all experience the family of God. We can all access the word of God through faith because it's only by grace through faith in Christ that we can belong. And I feel like at the end of the day, if we can just call a time out and first things first, know that, yeah. that that's what this is all about. And as spiritual parents around here, that's what we're pleading for you to know talk yeah. about that how'd I do <laughs> no that was it was fantastic I I think the the knowing part at some level is the easy part in the sense that if if you've been around church or you've been around the church community for a while nothing that you've said ought to be that radical or surprising because those are things that we've said before there's a step past the knowing which is the believing it like the actually wanting that I the, the I, letting those data points absorb. Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel like we love to talk about grace. I think we love to talk about grace to a point. We love that God does this. We love that God has adopted us. The, the message from last week, people have downloaded at twice the rate and any other message because we just love to hear that truth. And yet we still want to feel somehow like we deserved that. Like that we, it was because of something amazing in us. And I mean, it is. God loves all of us because all of us are amazing. But, but there's something uniquely amazing to me that, that God chose me that allows at some level the message of, break, of grace for me to embrace it for myself and then feel justified in turning around and judging somebody else because I feel like they are less qualified to receive grace than, than my qualifications to receive grace. Yeah, for some reason, there's some credit or some control that we as humans tend to have to need yes. in, in all of this that causes us to deviate and causes us to, whether we believe it or not, live in a way that pollutes the purity of that gospel Absolutely. and then pollutes the way we and others experience the gospel from the perspective of 
belonging. Absolutely. As soon as there's a way you have to qualify, then there are qualifications. Then there are some people who are more qualified and other people who are less qualified. And now there's a hierarchy of who deserves more grace and who's, and all of it, the phrase we use in the fall is watering down grace. All of it is completely destroying grace. As soon as we say, I feel like we, you no one would ever say it so loud, but as soon as we act as though we have somehow deserved the grace we've received, we have not received grace. It's not grace at all. And so knowing that this is about way more than what we know, and I hope for some of us, we can know this and know that we know that we know this even today, like never before. That's part of what we would appeal to you to do. But beyond the knowing, uh, obviously what we care the most about is the doing and the living this out. And I, I guess for starters, what I'd love for us to talk about a little bit is that just to appreciate around here how much we've cared about this, frankly, over the years Mm -hmm. to to try to cultivate this kind of belonging based exclusively on the grace of God accessed through faith alone because of the person of Jesus. You know, I think back to years ago when we were first moving to St. Catharines and, and the process of becoming missional and opening up the homeless shelter and launching, you know, other sites, other Southridge locations with shelter equivalents, what we now call anchor causes. And the, the, the whole move of trying to kind of normalize socioeconomic difference. To, tr- to try to normalize that and, and cultivate what God has done over the years in a beautiful picture of oneness. Uh, I think about the, the last number of years in the, the efforts that we've invested into uh, female, in particularly female leadership empowerment with our Next Level Leadership Program and our Brave Girls Program, trying to normalize and to right-size the, the dynamic in the family of God where spiritual moms and spiritual dads can parent this family together diversely as one. And then most recently, and this is where we found ourselves the last five years or so, kind of chin deep, if not forehead deep in the last six months, is is trying to create a way for bona fide LGBTQ inclusion in a community of faith like ours, and even in an extended way to include people who hold different convictions on these kinds of contentious issues like marriage and sexuality and to say, you know what, we still, in light of that kind of diversity, we still can all belong. And recently, you know, you may not be aware of this, but we've landed, you know, here at Southridge with a, a, a bona fide LGBTQ inclusion kind of policy or, or a statement of sorts that we can lean into that not only can we lean into as a local church, but also we've navigated in a way that's now compatible with our denomination, with our extended family of churches that we're a part of. And I, I guess first things first, before we invite you into living something to a greater degree. I just want you to know for literally decades, how much we've invested ourselves as leaders to fighting for this, for you and for us and for all of us together. Mm. Talk about that a little bit. Well, it strikes me a couple of weeks ago, we were at the end of Galatians chapter three and Paul was saying, if grace is real, And if the only way to belong to God and to God's family is by grace alone, through faith alone and Christ alone, there's no qualifications. There's no, there's no, uh, 
boxes that you have to tick in order to earn it or deserve it, then Paul says everybody's the same in the community. And then he, and then he gives this little list. There's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male and female uh, in the kingdom of God. And just as you were talking, I was actually reflecting on how in anchor causes like in Vineland with migrant farm worker communities, and even in some of the conversations that are beginning to happen about our relationship with our indigenous neighbors, the Jew Gentile cultural, racial, ethnic barriers are what we are talking about yeah, when it comes we've been to inclusion. fighting for those right? barriers. And socioeconomic in the ways that we've served in various ways with the shelter and others. And, and, and now sexuality and gender, both in brave girls and in LGBTQ plus inclusion that God has almost been leading us through this list of systematically eliminating barriers to involvement in ways that, um, I, I don't want us to posture ourselves as the great gatekeepers of inclusion and we're allowing other people to join where I would say from our perspective as two of, if not maybe the two most privileged people in our entire church community, learning that our privilege means nothing in the kingdom and how much we need relationships of diversity in order to, to discover Christ in the body of Christ yeah. together. And gang, these these comments, I appreciate you, you making those statements, Mike. That that these comments aren't our attempt to take credit for anything. That this is, on the one hand, I'd want you to feel that that this is a celebration yeah. of God's faithfulness and activity to lead us and work in and among us in these ways. This is what God has done. But more importantly, from the perspective of this kind of parental heartfelt plea. For you to know how desperately we want this. Yeah. I mean, outside of this being our jobs, which that's fine. We'll do this for a living. This has not been easy work. At times, this hasn't been fun work. It certainly hasn't been popular work. It certainly hasn't been a way to make friends and influence people <laughs> in the broader church circle. Uh, it's not the kind of thing that you brag about uh, in an up and to the right way with your pastor buddies. Like... There, there is a sense where we have desired to lay everything we have as yeah. leaders personally on the line for the sake of these kinds of justices and expressions of compassion so that we can experience a greater degree of oneness and belonging because of the grace of God through faith in Christ. We desperately, desperately want this for you and are willing to do, at least as we understand it, whatever it will take of us as leaders to make this possible. Because I need it for my discipleship as much as, much as anybody else. A absolutely. So I guess first things first, we don't want to invite people into anything that, that we aren't actively, desperately trying to facilitate yeah. and experience ourselves. Having said that though, Mike, Talk about some ways that we can personally live this out, live this belonging to a greater degree beyond just owning it and knowing that we know that we know it. What does it look like to live into this? Well, there is, I think there is a sense in which it starts with personally owning it and knowing it. I, I, I would say the person who undermines grace the most in my life isn't somebody else who puts religious expectations on me. It's the religious expectations I put on myself. Yeah, absolutely. It's the guilt and shame that I feel when I don't feel like I'm performing at a high enough level religiously when it comes to 
whatever, quiet time or prayer or whether it, you know, whatever the, whatever the personal markers or, you know, struggles with sin or whatever, um, there is this sense that I put that expectation on myself more than, than uh, anybody puts it on me. And there is a certain amount of freedom that I need to discover and live into to the degree to which I can actually, and this is where it comes down to faith, I can actually believe that God says that he loves and accepts me no matter what. Yeah. And just allowing myself to live into that. The, the flip side of that, I think, is there, there are some folks who don't struggle with the guilt and shame side. They struggle with the freedom and license side and say, well, if everything's grace, then who cares how I live? And God will forgive me later. And, and that's not grace either. That's not a loving response to being loved is to take advantage of the other person. Which in the future of Galatians, we're going right. to that's the where year. this goes we, after we, Easter. We get Absolutely. into some of those details, how to live in that freedom in Christ right. that we're trying to encourage. Um, aside from kind of owning it and making that commitment to not deviate from that true North yourself. Uh, there's also tremendous opportunity for us to relate differently as a church family you know, oh, absolutely. in the lobbies on Sunday mornings, uh, in our, in our life groups, uh, in our homes, mm. you know, in our workplaces, uh, certainly as we engage in our anchor causes, talk about some of the kind of the highlights that you would love to see in the way that we would live this out differently as we seek to own this for ourselves. Yeah. Well, you have mentioned in the last little while, even the top three barriers um, to people's considering participating in a church community being hypocrisy, judgmentalism, and homophobia. I mean, if, if those were the only three things that we address as a community in, as a result of this study in Galatians and dis rediscovering the power of grace is that we stopped hip hypocritically pretending that we're something. If we stopped looking at other people who we judge to be inferior to us as though they were less than us. And if we, in particular with LGBTQ plus people, but with everybody decided that everyone had an equal right to belong and participate and, and be a part of the community, um, those would be uh, quite significant gains for the church, I would say. Yeah, which, which kind of segues, I think, into the third dimension that I would hope that this would play out uh, into, and that is the way that we relate to others outside yeah. of the, the, the family of God, that, that we can actually invite with confidence people who, in their aloneness, in the struggles that they're facing, medical challenges or you know, financial pressures, whatever, uh, in their emotional and mental health, Challenges, anxiety, depression, things like that. I mean, the antidote, the, the, the primary antidote to so many of those things that our world is desperate for is bonafide uh, community. Absolutely. Around here, you can invite with confidence people into a community that is desperately seeking to yeah. live out this oneness of community that breaks those typical barriers because of the by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, way in which God wants to work. Yeah. And so if you're thinking about people in your life that could really benefit from the power of that kind of belonging, don't hesitate to, in response to the conversation this morning, reach out and try to draw them in to spiritual conversation and into the kind of activities that we engage in as a community together. Mm, absolutely. I, I Super brief story. I was in a conversation with somebody the other day and we were talking about 
she had a church background from way back and she was talking about how in her experience, you know, women in the church were expected to marry early and have kids early. And so I was saying that as I raised my daughters, when I talk about marriage and kids, I use words like if instead of when, and I make no assumptions. And then I made this offhanded comment. I said, when I talk to my girls about dating, I don't, I try not to use gendered words and say, when you bring home a boy, I just say, if you bring home a partner, because I don't know if my kids are gay and they don't know if they're gay. And I wouldn't want to set up a barrier for their own sense of belonging in their own home. And she looked at me and she said, first question out of her mouth. She looked at me and she said, is that what your church says too? She was hungry for a spiritual community where those kinds of barriers to belonging didn't exist. That's how potent grace is. And, you know, gang, at the end of the day, this isn't, to be clear, this isn't just about belonging to a community. It's not just about Southridge or in in that sense. At the end of the day, it is about a deeply kind of fundamentally spiritual reality of belonging to Christ and to the yeah. family of God. So, uh, you know, as we wrap up, I know that you had a, 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 an interaction recently with someone that just struck you to say, wow, uh, I'm amazed how desperately we all need this. This matters. Uh, yeah. Talk about this experience at the hospital. Yeah. I ran into a friend of mine named Aaron uh, at the hospital the one day and uh, I was surprised to see him. And I asked him what he was doing there. And he said, well, we're kind of sitting by the bedside of my 93-year-old grandmother. She's dying. And uh, we're, as a family, gathered around to say goodbye. And I said, oh, that's terrible. I said, is she suffering? And he said, no. He said, it's a good thing. She's comfortable. He said, what breaks my heart is that whatever suffering she has is spiritual. And I said, what do you mean by that? And he said, at 93 years of age, she's lived for more than nine decades in the church. And right now, this woman who has followed Christ for almost a century is lying in her deathbed, terrified because she doesn't know if she's done enough. She doesn't know if she's done well enough. She doesn't know if Christ is going to receive her on the other side. And I looked at Aaron and I said, because none of us know a darn thing about grace. And he said, because none of us know a darn thing about grace. And it broke my heart that this woman, that Christ is waiting to receive into eternity with open arms, who will weep when he sees her because of a century almost of faithfulness, is afraid that he's not going to love her when he sees her. In spite of a century of faithfulness receiving certain messages. Right. Right. That she so lived under the heaviness of those religious expectations that she cannot even now experience the freedom of just knowing that she's loved by faith. And gang, those those are the messages that the Apostle Paul is desperate for his original readers to shed. And I would say equally today, those are the messages that we're desperate for us to shed around here. You got to know that as part of the group of parents around here, we love you deeply. And we want nothing but God's best for you. But let's be real clear that God's best is and is only a by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, way of life with him that translates into a unilateral, no matter what diversity kind of makes us different, unites us as one family under him. So I pray that you'll celebrate that today. I I pray that you'll live into that in your own heart and that you'll live that out as a community and all across Niagara. Let's be that community. We're committed to it. We're going to fight for it and for you. Let's commit to fighting that together.
Absolutely. Mike, can you close us in prayer and uh, let's wrap things up? Absolutely. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, um, our hearts find it so easy to want to make our life with you about something that we can do, something tangible we can accomplish, a box we can check, uh, something we can cross off the to-do list. And at least for me, so often it's because I want to feel like I have um, been worthy of your love. And Father, we, as we travel through Galatians, as we hear your voice through the Apostle Paul, we just repent of all of that individually and as a community, drawing a line in the sand and saying, from this day forward, we are by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone people. And we will not put religious performance expectations on ourselves or on each other or project them out into the world, but we are going to be a community that reflects your open-armed love towards everybody all the time. And we thank you for the love that you have poured out on us, sending Jesus Christ and sending your spirit to set us free. And Jesus says the one uh, that the son sets free is free indeed. Would you make us free indeed to love and be loved by you? We pray in Jesus name. Amen. Amen.